Hello everyone and welcome to From the Archives. This podcast goes back to many sermons preached over many years. We thought we'd bring them from the past here into the present so you can enjoy some of the messages that came before. Take a listen to what we have tonight. All right, church, have a seat. It's a good night to be in God's house. Amen. Amen. It's good to hear a testimony like Daniel's because it shows us that there are still great things happening in the world. Amen. Shows us good things are going on in the world. Tonight I want to keep going where we left off last week. I want to keep talking about the life of Jephthah. Tonight I want to talk about seeing the big picture. The big picture. See, I believe this. When you keep all the facts in mind of what's going on in your life, what's going on in the world, it helps us to see what God's doing. Amen? Maybe you just had a great time like Daniel had. You got a chance to go out and minister in the name of Jesus. You got to speak life into some kid's uh, life who's uh, living with AIDS, living with only months left to live. And yet they have the joy of the Lord because even though they're dying, even though they're in pain, they know that there's a God who loves them. Amen? You know the sad thing? We live in a wealthy country. Every single one of us here, by comparison to the world, are filthy, stinking rich. Because everybody here ate today. If you're one of them healthy people, you ate a salad and carrots and you did the whole bunny rabbit thing, but you still had food. If you're the rest of us and you, you dined on Big Macs and greasy fries and enough oil to stop your heart, that's okay too. Praise God for McDonald's. You know what I mean? But that's how it is. You've got to keep the big picture in your mind. You've got to see what's going on around you. Let's cast our mind back to where we were last week. Okay, we're in the book of Judges, chapter 11. Remember, Jephthah was a man, a mighty warrior of God, cast out by his family because he did not fit what they thought he should be. He was the son of another woman, son of a prostitute. They wanted his share of the inheritance, so they cast him out. Yet in a time of need, they went to this man who had never wronged them, had never sinned against them, and they said, you need to come back and help us lead our armies. He said, wait a second, you kicked me out. Why are you coming to me? Because we need you, Jephthah, because you're a mighty man, and because we need you to be our head, our military governor. We need you to save us. So he brought them to Mizpah. He stood them before the Lord, and they repeated, If you go to war, if you lead us, Jephthah, and if the Lord delivers us through your hand, you will be the governor of our people. Once it was said before the Lord, it could not be gone back on. Judges chapter 11, 12 through 13, we're going to pick up our story tonight by this. What is your issue? We talk about people every day who gripe and they complain, yet they have full stomachs, they have warm houses to live in, they have soft beds to sleep in, they have jobs, they may not like their jobs, but they've got jobs by and large. We have so many things going on, yet there's so much stress, so much tension. You know, tension's bad. Tension turns your hair white. Tension makes you gain weight. It's no wonder I look the way I do. It's tension. It's stress. So what is your issue? Tonight we're going to look 
at the response of Jephthah to the Ammonite kings when he asked them, what is your issue? Judges 11, 12 and 13. This is the word of the Lord. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, What do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now therefore, restore it peacefully. Aha! Now we know the source of this trouble. We know the source of this fight. It's a fight for land. It's a fight for control. My question is, is this really what the fight's about? You look at most people in the world today, most people who have stress, most people who are constantly bickering, complaining, husbands and wives fighting each other, children fighting parents, parents fighting children, bosses fighting employees, etc., church members biting each other's heads off. What's really going on there? Let's examine this today. Okay, what do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land? Had the Ammonites come against Jephthah? No, they had not. They had come against the Gileadites. The Gileadites had cast out Jephthah. But what had they done in the last study that we looked at? They had made him the military governor. Therefore, he took upon himself the persona of the people to represent them before these enemies. Here's the thing. When you go out into the world, you represent who? Tacoma First Baptist Church? I don't think so. Pastor Richard Stidham, do you represent me in the world? No, thank you, Jesus. Who do you represent? Jesus Christ. You represent your Savior. So when you go out into a world that is hostile to Christianity, you can ask this question. What do you have against me that you bring all these accusations against Jesus, against the church, against Christianity? What is your problem with my beliefs? Now, you know, in America today, you can be anything. You can be an atheist. You can be a polytheist. You can be just about, you can believe in many gods, no gods. You can be a Democrat, you can be a Republican, you can be an independent. Heck, we even got communists in this country. We got everything here. And you know what? Almost nothing will anybody fight over. Except what? When you say you believe in Jesus Christ. Remember I told you on Sunday, when you say you believe in God, you have made the most pointless and meaningless statement you can make. When you say to me, I believe in God, you've said nothing to me. Because that doesn't mean anything in this country. God can be anything. If you're a Native American, God can be a totem pole or a rock. Except for a possum. Possums can't be God because that's just, that's ugly. Anyways, you know, you can be worshiping trees and clouds and spiritual forces. So when you say you believe in God, you haven't said nothing to me. Who do you believe in? When you say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, I am a born-again Christian, and I believe that he is the way, the truth, the life, you're going to get into a fist fight, brother, sister. You're going to get into a knockdown drag out because people will let you believe in God. They do not want you to lift up Jesus Christ. You know why? Because that puts a claim on their life that they don't want. Look at the second part of this. It's very interesting. Verse 13. It says, Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land. There's your first verse. There's your second one. Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land, now therefore restore it peacefully. Is that true? No, it's not. You know how I know? 
Book of Deuteronomy, chapter 2, verse 19. You will read these words in Deuteronomy 2, 19. The Lord said to the people of Israel, And when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, the Ammonites, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for possession. Now God warned them in Deuteronomy, when you go into the promised land, you're going to go in there and you can have all this land that I give you from this river to that river, from this northern to that southern. Don't touch the land of the Ammonites. So why is it now that the king of the Ammonites says, because Israel on coming up from Egypt took away my land. What on earth is he talking about? Apparently he believes that Israel has taken something that belongs to him. Yet clearly God has said, I will not give you this land that belongs to the Ammonites. What is it that people in America today think that Jesus Christ is going to take away from them? Herman, what is it? What is it they think that we're going to take away from them by saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? I'll tell you what it is. Their right to be wrong. We talked about the Vanity Fair on Sunday. The Vanity Fair from the book of Pilgrim's Progress. You go to the marketplace of America. America will sell you anything. It will sell you UFOs. It will sell you subterranean slime creatures. It will sell you vampires. It will sell you anything. But if you start saying all of that stuff is meaningless, pointless vanity, America gets upset. You know why? You cut into their merchandising. You cut into what they can sell you, the lies and the deceptions that they will bring upon your life. So of course, they're going to say, you're taking away my freedom. You're taking away my right to choose my God, my religion, my way of doing things. What do you mean we can't have this kind of alternative lifestyle? What do you mean we can't have this type of ritual or this type of thing? It gets me because um, about 10 years ago, an inmate at one of the local prisons actually sued the state. You know why they sued him? They said, you took away my rights to practice my religion. What's your religion? Satanism. Well, what do you want to do? I want to sacrifice human blood. And they're like, we ain't going to give you a person to sacrifice. But you're standing in the way of my rights. Once a month, that prisoner receives an inflatable person doll filled with pig's blood. And he is allowed to take it out. He's allowed to say his ritual. He's allowed to shove a dagger in it and spill that blood. And they have to clean it up after him. That's his right to practice what he wants. You see, when you say Jesus is Lord, you take all that stuff away. It's no wonder people react just like this king of the Ammonites. You took away what belongs to me. You Christians are trying to limit me. You don't want me to have my fun. You don't want me to get drunk, get stoned, go out there and chase whatever I want to chase. That's why the world gets so upset. That's what their issue is. That's what the issue was here. They believe the Israelites had something that they wanted. But you know what? Let's press on. Let's press on with our story today. All right. Now we're going to go to Judges chapter 11, verses 14 through 26. Judges 11, 14 through 26. Let's think about it. And when I ask you the question, they accused the Israelites of having stolen their land. But did they really do it? Is that really the problem? Well, let's look and see what Jephthah said in response to these charges from the king of the Ammonites. Judges 11, 14 through 26. 
Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they also sent messengers to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they journeyed through the wilderness and went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab, arrived on the east side of the land of Moab, and camped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel then sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land to our country. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped at Jahaz and fought with Israel. And the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. And they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon to the Jabbok, and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh your God gives you to possess? And all that Yahweh our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Now are you any better than Baloth, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel, or did he ever go to war with them? While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, and in Aror and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, three hundred years. Why did you not deliver them within that time? Aha! Now we get a little bigger picture. So they've accused him of stealing the land. Fine. You say I stole the land. He gets this response. He writes this really fancy defense and sends it back. Let's see what he says. He starts up here in verse 19. He talks about their ascent coming up out of Egypt. He says, Israel then sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites. Please let us pass through your land to our country. Interestingly, it says in verse 20, Sihon did not believe. He did not believe that they would simply pass through. Therefore, he set out to make war with those people. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Verse 21. Yahweh, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and his people and everything else into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Now, this is important. In those days, it was very important you understand, people's land was given to them by their gods. Their land was defended by their gods. For 200 years, what did we sing in this country? God bless America. Why? We believe that God brought us to this place so that we could found a nation, we could build a people who would worship the Lord God. Right? We believe that God made a way for us in this country. Now, we did some interesting things to the Native American people uh, from whom I'm descended, so I will let y'all off the hook on that one. But God had a hand in bringing America into existence. Amen? We are here because God so permitted us to be in this place. He blessed us and brought us here. 
Now, what we've done with this country since then is a whole other issue. That's a different sermon. But let's keep looking at this. The Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon into the hand of Israel. Now, where do we read this? How do we know this actually happened? Numbers, chapter 21, verses 25 through 26. And Israel took all these cities, and Israel settled in all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and in all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land out of his hand as far as the Arnon. Now that's the very area we're fighting about, right? They're talking about Israel stealing from the Arnon to the Jabbok River. Yet it says up here, that was not the Amorites' land. So why is the king of the Amorites trying to get possession of a land that was not his? Simple. History says, right here, that this king, king of Heshbon, Sihon, took that land from the Amorites in fair combat. Did Israel steal land from the Amorites? No. Why? Wasn't their land. They already lost it. God told them before going in, you're not going to touch the land that belongs to the Amorites. When they went in there, it was the Moabites. They took that land in a fair fight from Sihon, the king of Heshbon, right? Therefore, they didn't steal it from the Amorites. The interesting thing is, they still somehow thought it was theirs, but they waited all this time to divvy it up. Here's what I'm going to get at real quick. Have you ever noticed how things can sit with you for a long time and you get angry about it? You ever notice how the longer you dwell on something, the madder you get about it? It had been a long time since they lost this land. A long time since they lost it. And they looked at the people of Israel. Was this a particularly strong time in the life of Israel? No. We looked back two weeks. What condition were the people of Israel in? They had fallen away from the Lord. They had started to worship false gods. They had gotten wrapped up in all types of uh, iniquity, all types of sin. They had started to justify their actions by calling upon the gods of the indigenous peoples. God had thrown them over to the hand of the Amorites to punish them. Then they had so cried out to God that they had called now this man to deliver them. They had called Jephthah to set them free. See, this is a very convoluted mess. The Amorites' charge was false. And that's exactly what Jeff is trying to say. We didn't take anything from you. We took nothing from you. In fact, go on and see what he says. Verse 24. Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord, all that Yahweh, our God, has dispossessed before us, we will possess it. Now let me break that down into plain English for you. We didn't take nothing from you. God gave it to us. We gratefully received it. We give him the glory for taking it. So why should we give it back to you? This reminds me a lot of Paul. Paul says, you came to faith in Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. Yet now you want to embrace this, 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 this justification by the law of Moses. How is it possible that through the Spirit you've been set free and now you want to embrace this path of the flesh? How is it that, that that's possible? God purchases for us our freedom at the cross through Christ. And yet we keep adding things in to our walk with the Lord that are just like this. They are just like man-made things that we throw in there. And that's what he says, will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you? You know what's interesting? Chemosh was not the God of the Amorites. 
Molech was the god of the Amorites. Why did he say, why don't you call on Chemosh? Who is Chemosh the god of? All you Sunday school teachers that should have stayed awake last night? God of the Moabites. What land are they fighting over? The land that they took from Moab. The people living there who had lived there had adopted the foreign gods that were foreign to their own people. So they were calling upon gods that were not even their gods to rescue them from this foreign god who'd come in. The only reason they're going against Israel is because Israel's weak. Look at verse 26. It says this. 300 years. It's been 300 years since all this happened. Why did you not deliver them within that time? Why did they wait until that moment to try and lay claim to the land? Because before that time the people were strong, they were with the Lord, and they could not have overcome them. Why is it that the world today is rallying against the church? Simple. We are worshiping Chemosh, Astaroth, Molech. We have brought gods into our churches that have weakened us and made us pathetic, crippled men and women. We have brought in things like political correctness. We have brought in things like modernness. Biblical reinterpretation. Oh, you know, we can't really believe what the Bible says. We've got to kind of tweak it and re recreate it so that it doesn't offend anybody. Here's some wonderful news, people. God is offensive. God offends the sinner. His name is holy and righteous. Go into a room that is festered with cockroaches. Flip on a light. Do the cockroaches put on sunglasses and stand there? The cockroaches run for the dark. The cockroaches hate the light. The church today has become weakened because we no longer stand upon the word of God. We preach happy 15-minute messages, how you can be tickled pink with your life, how you can make more money, find a better wife, get a better job, how you can improve your social standing. We tell you nothing about Jesus Christ. We tell you nothing about how to overcome your sin condition. We challenge none of the sinful, worldly predispositions that are out there. That's why the world has closed in for the jugular of the church. You see, this story, this is us. We are the Gileadite, Gileadites. Yeah, them people. Yeah, that's us. Our enemies are not Amorites. It's modern people. Modern, politically correct individuals who are assaulting the church to break us down because they see that we are weak. There's a lot of churches in this country are pathetic. A lot of pastors need to be taken out and horsewhipped because they have forsaken the word of God and they have substituted man-pleasing for it. And I make no apology for saying that. Here's the thing. What does Jephthah teach us? Don't apologize for what God has done for you. Let's wrap this thing up. Let's finish it up one more time. Judges 11, 27 through 28. God will choose. God will choose the victor. God will choose for us that we win over our enemies in the end. Okay, Judges 11, 27, 28. Here's the last of it. I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. I love Jephthah. He's just a real man. Yahweh, the judge, decided this, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. Fatal mistake. There's two fatal mistakes that you can make tonight. One, you don't stand up for your God-given right to worship Jesus Christ. That's the first mistake. Second mistake, you don't listen to God's correction when he puts the smack down on your bald head. You know what I'm talking about? When God corrects, listen. 
The king of the Ammonites didn't understand his position. He was standing in front of certain judgment. The king of the Ammonites wanted to go to war with Yahweh, God of Israel. He was going to fight the people. But he didn't even see that he was fighting God. And you can't fight God. Look what it says. Verse 27. I therefore have not sinned against you. The Lord, the judge, decided this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. You go back. Go back to verse 24. Will you not possess what Chemosh your God gives you to possess? And all the Lord our God has dispossessed before us. We will possess it. We have to take ownership of the most precious thing that Jesus Christ has given us. His Holy Spirit, which indwells us, which seals us. His word, which enlightens our path. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I guarantee you be a man or you be a woman like Jephthah. You stand up. You don't compromise. You don't apologize for what God says. You don't rethink it, make it more acceptable to the world. The Lutheran Synod of something or other just spent a million dollars, a million dollars to research for them the most important question of the 21st century. Do you know what it was? What does the Bible really say about homosexuality? Dang, they could have given me a million dollars. I would have sent them my sermon on it. They would have had the answer. He says, don't do it. It's wrong. It's an abomination. Is it ever going to change? No. Is God ever going to back off his word? No. Can we ever back off the word of God? No. We don't compromise. Here's the thing. There's a price to pay when you stand up for God's word. Jephthah's about to pay that price. And anytime you stand up for the word, you'll pay the same price. You know what the price is? War. If you are not a person who can tolerate war, this ain't your fight. But you know what? You got no choice. You're either a Christian who compromises, who runs for the shadows like the cockroaches, or you stand up like a man or woman of God, called and anointed, and say what's necessary in those days. Finish it up, verse 28. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he had sent to him. This seals the fate of the Ammonite people. This king made a decision to fight not only the people of Israel, but the God of Israel. And it's a fight you can't win. He should have known that from looking at the history of his people. But see, he thought he was smarter. He thought he had overcome it. He thought he could outdo God. And that doesn't work. So do you see it? Do you see it tonight, church? Can you see your problem from God's perspective? Whatever problem you're in right now. Maybe right now you say, well, the only problem I have is my health. Can you see your health problem from God's perspective? Maybe it's um, uh, some kind of disagreement with uh, a co-worker. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe it's a, a disagreement over a course of action. Can you see that God is God in this situation? Can you see it from his perspective? Second question goes with it. Can you see God's hand at work over the course of your life? What did Jephthah do? Did he talk about his day and age? No. Where did he start? When God brought us up out of slavery, he did the following. Remember last week? He said, if I go to war for you and Yahweh delivers them into my hand, recognizing that without God, you cannot have victory. You cannot have lasting victory unless you are on God's side. And that means you stand for God's word. So can you see God's hand at work over the course of your life? And the third one, will you trust God to bring you through your problems and into your perfect rest? The only way for Jephthah to save the Gilead people was through war. 
He offered peace. He offered this, this, this was way to get out. He said, I'm not sinned against you. Don't bring this fight on. You can't win it. But he knew that the only way for him to have peace and for his people to have peace was for him to stick to his guns and do what was necessary. It will cost you when you stick to your guns, but God will repay you a thousandfold. Thank you for joining us today in the archives. I am your host, Richard Stidham. Remember that we are a listener-supported ministry here, and if you would like to contribute in any way to keeping this message on the air, you can send any gifts to Richard Stidham, 1321 Baytown, Texas, 77521. That's P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas, 77521. God bless and we'll see you again in the archives.